Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscovered Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! In the early 90s, London-based producer Jeff Wilkinson was given full access to legendary jazz label Blue Note Records' entire discography to use samples in his project, Us Three. The resulting album, Hand on the Torch, mixed modern hip-hop with classic jazz, and on the heels of the first single, Cantaloupe, Flip Fantasia, the record quickly ascended to the top 10 on the Billboard charts. Today on the show, we dive into the rest of Us Three's music to decide if there should have been a few more bitty bitty bops in the mainstream, or if this project was just too funky funky to enjoy more success. One hit is all you need To make the money guaranteed And you can live off royalties Forever And it makes me wonder Is it just a wonder Or is it one hit thunder Well, bitty bitty bop to you, Matt Ah, funky funky, Chris <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, I love it <laughs> That should be our greeting from now on <laughs> I mean, this is another snooze you lose, but this is also one that we've brought up like 14 different times on past episodes, so it felt like it was just time to do it. Have people forgot about us three at this point? I think they have. And I mean, there's not, here's the thing, there's not a ton out there about the group us, us three, but the emotions and like the artists that this reminded me of just listening to this this debut album by them like I can just get into a whole I mean this 
there was such a cool movement in the late nine or in the early nineties that we just completely forgot about, which was like the jazz, uh, the jazz infused hip hop that is like so my shit. Hmm. <laughs> like, hmm. Okay. So, what you're saying is that you like jazz. I don't know if I necessarily <laughs> like jazz, but I like Tribe Called Quest, who sampled a lot of jazz. I liked that first De La Soul album that sampled a lot of jazz records. I think that jazz mixed with hip hop can be really cool, especially the sound of like an upright bass. Like I always think of the opening to Low End Theory. That's just mm-hmm. like the upright bass and Q-tip rapping over top of it. Like there is a very cool marriage that can happen with those two sounds. And I think us three probably did the best job out of any for creating a song that really exemplified that because Cantaloupe fucking rules. That's This song's amazing. You didn't answer my question. Do you like jazz is the question. Yes. That's that's uh, an interesting answer to that question. And I've always been like, well, I guess I'm supposed to like jazz. So, yeah, I guess I like jazz because I'm supposed to. It feels wrong not to. But recently I saw a Fred Armisen stand up routine. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen this, Matt, about jazz. Have you seen it? No. I'm not a fan of jazz. And I don't think anyone in this room is a fan of jazz. I don't think anyone really likes it. It's, it's a role we all play, we all... We act like it's part of our lives, but um, my problem with jazz is that it, it sounds like itself. It sounds like jazz. When I hear it, I, I don't think, oh, I love this song. I think, ah, that's jazz. I thought that was so funny. And then he goes on to play a record of jazz. He's like, I want you to raise your hand when you start to check out. And it, was, <laughs> it was within five seconds. Everyone's like raising their hand. So, no, I don't like jazz, but I think you have a good point. When you mix it with other types of music, it can be a cool element of a different type of music. But on its own, I'm good on jazz. I've never intentionally put on jazz. See, I actually have. I One of my first wow. classes I took in college was intro to jazz on like the breakdown of the history of jazz and Blue Note records and, and all of that. And we're going to get into Blue Note. You know, I also you have to remember that I grew up with a grandfather who played in Dixieland bands. So like there's that New Orleans style jazz that I actually genuinely love. And I will like decide to put on New Orleans jazz music. Back up a second, because I've heard you mention this a lot. What is Dixieland music? Because that makes me the word Dixie. I mean, that's kind of become a bad word recently, so much so that th- the chicks took the Dixie yeah, out of their name. And it, I think it has some ties to whatever. the the. Uh, um, it's tied to the South. It, and that's why I usually, after I say Dixieland once, I usually am like, let's just call it New Orleans Jazz. Yeah, there um, you so go. Like in, <laughs> yeah, so a New Orleans Jazz band, usually it is a banjo player. Uh, a guy playing just like a snare with maybe a cymbal and then mm-hmm. some combination of like trumpet, trombone, clarinet. Um, it's you. usually four to five piece groups. And it's like like the the perfect like uh, New Orleans jazz songs, like stuff that people would all know is like when the Saints go marching in. Like,
even like um, the Harlem Globetrotters song. Like if you hear like Ooh. a jazzy version of that, like, like it's Wait, dancing music. No, hold on music. a second. Back up. Wait, what was I? Sing- no, no, I did singing- Andy Griffith. <laughs> you were singing Andy Griffith. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that song plays in my head every time I'm like shooting around, shooting hoops, dribbling a ball. Between. That song plays in my head. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you, you. It's whistling songs. I don't know what to tell you, but but there's that. But then, like in the jazz guys, I learned to love like Duke Ellington. Like I think Duke Ellington makes some really cool songs. He did a song that I actually put on a lot of like Halloween playlists because it sounds like a song that you would hear in like a spooky Looney Tunes cartoon. You would be into spooky Looney Tunes music. <laughs> oh, 100%. East St. Louis Toodaloo is the name of the song. I just imagine like a black and white Looney Tunes cartoon as it's like zooming in on like a creepy house in like a swamp or something. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I think that there there is good things to come from jazz, but is it something that I'm like sitting down actively listening to? Not really. But mm-hmm. I also had an the the college I went to. Our jazz teacher was awesome. It was this guy, Doctor Paul Green. He taught jazz. He taught American music, and he taught world uh, world music, and. He reminded me of Mr. Holland from Mr. Holland's Opus. Like he kind of looked like Richard Dreyfus a little bit, and he was Ooh. just like very soft spoken. and And I was like, this guy's really cool, and he was so nice, and he like had this insane knowledge of every genre of music. Like no matter what genre you threw at him, he could like break down the entire history of that music. And I just thought he was like this cool, like weird guy that was teaching at a commuter campus <laughs> in in like Delaware County. And then I was receiving an award. And he was also getting like the teacher of the year award and they started reading his credentials and it was like he lived in Africa and discovered a tribe that communicated exclusively through music and is like wildly respected in like the music and like, (laughs) like worlds. But like he just grew up near Philadelphia. So like when he was done doing all of that research, he's like, I just want to teach jazz music (laughs) to college freshmen. What award were you winning? It was just like a student activities award because I did like a lot of like event planning for the campus. So it was just like community service award or something. He was winning something special. I was winning like a participation trophy. I thought you were winning biggest jazz fan. Uh, So we should talk about us three. We should talk about us three. Who basically. Us us two will talk about us three right now. Us three (laughs) is basically us one. That one being. Jeff Wilkinson, which when I saw the name Jeff Wilkinson, I was like, that's like a name if someone said, make up a name on the spot. I go, <laughs> I go Jeff Wilkinson. <laughs> I don't, but it is spelled like Geoff Wilkinson, like that spelling of it. I don't know why. That's just like Wilkinson's always one of those names I would go to if I was like making up a name. Anyway, Jeff Wilkinson was sampling jazz music, uh, particularly from the Blue Note Records catalog, and he created a song. Can't remember the name of the song. It wasn't Cantaloupe. It was a different song. I think it was before he was even called Us Three. But 
the song got played on London's Kiss FM, which I don't know. If I have to go off what the Pittsburgh Kiss, Kiss FM is, I guess it would be like the big top 40 station. Um, but anyway, he got played on there with this mashup he did, I guess. And he got summoned to EMI's offices in London. And he was nervous because the sample wasn't cleared. He figured he was going to get sued. But somehow, Jeff Wilkinson talked himself out of being sued and into the Blue Note Records vaults. And uh, that was thanks to the Blue Note president at the time. This is before Don Waz. I guess you're pronouncing their names wrong in the yeah. was, not wa- was Not Was episode there, Matt. But uh, Bruce Lundvall, I guess, saw the potential in what Jeff was doing. And he allowed him to sample the Blue Note Records catalog and create more music. He made it prove... He made him prove it to him first by doing demos, but it was only two years later that Cantaloupe was sitting in the U.S. top 10. I also want to say, because this is just a weird thing, one of our past guests had a very similar situation. Yeah? <laughs> Mega Ran. Mega oh, Ran, when Nintendo, he did his... Nintendo. When he did his Nintendo album, he got zero clearances to put out that first album and got a phone call from Nintendo and thought that it was to sue him and it was for Nintendo to open up their music vault to him where he could touch and use anything from their catalog for for as much as he wanted because they were like, we never even thought someone could do this with the music that we had created. Like they were... Sometimes, man, it, it's that it's that little risk. You can either be an us three or you can be a Bismarck. Matt, what you're referring to, if anyone hasn't listened to the Chris to Makes a Podcast episode about Bismarck Key yet, this is around the same time, man. That's what's yeah. crazy. This is what year is is this us three stuff going down? 90? This is 93. So I think the Bismarck Key was a little bit before that. Two years. It was only yeah. two years between there. And what Matt was referring to is not on just a friend, but it was a, a, the next I guess what was supposed to be a, a big single for Bismarck Key, uh, sampled or interpolated Gilbert Alone o- again. Yeah. Yeah. Gilbert O'Sullivan's Alone Again Naturally. And Gilbert O'Sullivan was not having it. So he sued Bismarck Key. Bismarck Key had to pull the album, took the song off the album. And that was the first case of someone going after someone for sampling. And it, the dominoes <laughs> fell from there. But Matt, like I said in that episode of Chris makes, I can't believe it took that long. How did it yeah. take till 1991 for that so, to happen? I've said this before, but I think that, again, we got to put a little bit of blame on the Beastie Boys because when they put out that Paul's Boutique, it sampled 105 songs over 12 tracks. And that like drew a lot of attention because they were sampling like the Beatles on it like they were sampling like major major artists and I think that that was what first sent up a flare of like we don't have any law to stop these people (laughs) from sampling this music right now Um, I think it was just such a gross over over samplage on that album that like they probably started putting in their work to figure out how to make that like to make there be a law for that and I guess Bismarcky was just the, he was the two live crew, you know what I mean? Like he was just the person who was there that was the easiest target to go after because he was like a well-established artist <laughs> from his previous single. Yeah, someone, hey Matt, someone in, in the, the Facebook group, Chris Makes, had like a snarky comment. Like, I hope you cover how Bismarcky ruined it for everybody. I would be like, <laughs> no, that was, he was just 
the guy. He was just that just happened there. Like someone it was gonna happen. And to be honest, Matt. If someone sampled a song I wrote, I'd want to get the royalties on <laughs> yeah, it. Could, couldn't it then come full circle? Like, <laughs> couldn't someone then sample the song that was using a sample? And then that 100%. artist might be like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, so uh, I think that it's a legit thing. Like, No, it's I, a legit. I have zero problems with with that. I also think that it's cool that you know, they had full access to the Blue Note li- uh, library and Cantaloupe is the kickoff of the record. And I love that it kicks off with that speech. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we have something special down here at Birdland this evening. A recording for Blue Note Records. And then we just kick into this hour long album of all Blue Note Records samples as like the as you go through this. Really cool journey. I'm not sure about you. I really liked this record. When I was done listening to this, I was like, I will listen to this again for sure. Um, I'll get into that in a second. I wanted okay. to read. This goes along with, with what you're saying, Matt. But here's a quote from Jeff Wilkinson about all of this. He said, I always thought there was a huge potential audience for jazz among younger people. And I wanted us three to be a point of access for them by sampling classic jazz tracks, mixing them with beats and raps and having younger jazz cats play on top. I was acknowledging the past, staying rooted in the present and looking forward to the future all at the same time, which I think is pretty cool. And then this, (laughs) you know, I, I was young at the time, not as young now, but I think this makes jazz digestible for me. Yes. When you, yeah, if you mix in uh, both the live instrumentation and hip hop and, you know, a cool rapper who, you know, I would have never known this dude's name. It is Rasan Kelly, but I feel yeah. like he's a big part of it. What the, What's the first thing we said when he came on here? Bitty, bitty bop, funky, yeah. funky. I think the funky, funky might be a sample, but point being that, that's what made the song memorable to me was Rasan's parts. You know, of course he needed a cool bed to do that over, but I thought his vocal delivery was pretty cool. I also think that Rasan really does have an early De La Soul style delivery. Like mm-hmm. I could see him trading verses with the rest of the guys in De La Soul, especially on like songs like Three is the Magic Number or Me, Myself, and I, where it's kind of that more like laid back, conscious hip hop. You know what I mean? Like it, it's very of 1993 for sure, like his rapping style, but I liked it. I, I, I think that this song's really great. Like I'm glad that we're finally getting around to doing this episode. And we're not going to do like a lyrical breakdown because it's not, it's, it's typical 90s hip hop where it's, very well written, but it's not really saying anything. There's there's nothing mm-hmm. there's nothing deep to extrapolate from the lyrics of Cantaloupe. I think they were all improv, right? Yeah. So it's like groovy, groovy, jazzy, funky, pounce, bounce, dance as we dip into the melodic sea, a rhythm that keeps flowing and dips to MC. Sweet sugar pop, sugar pop, rocks it pop. You don't <laughs> stop till the sweet beat drops. Like it's not about what he's saying. It's about the way he's saying it for the most part on these. Like, it's not, it, it's yeah. very much like when we were looking at the lyrics to Come Baby Come, where we're like, this song's all over the place lyrically. Well, sometimes in hip hop, I mean, in any type of music, really, the vocals can serve as an instrument and the sounds coming out of your mouth can just be sounds that sound cool and yeah. whatever you can attach. I don't think anyone's attaching 
deep meaning to these lyrics. I think it's more just about setting a vibe and a feeling. It's no different than like Sigur Ross. It's like listening to a Sigur Ross song, like the lyrics to those songs mean nothing. It's the... It's the way that the vocal delivery on top of the ambient music makes you feel when you're listening to it in that moment. Like, do you think they mean nothing, or are they just in Icelandic? No, they're so they have one album that I love by them that's literally just called Parentheses, and all of the songs are called Untitled, and they created a language of gibberish mixed with Icelandic oh. so that the words mean absolutely nothing to anybody. Right. I know a few songs, but I got to dive into them more. For how much I love Bjork, you think I'd like them more. Not to, <laughs> not to assume that every, I'm going to like everyone from Iceland, but, you know. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and, in turn, make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Hi, listeners. I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are FemRegard Podcast. Mmm, Fem. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the Fem Fam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. Back to us three. Us three. Um, it, <laughs> the song is called Cantaloupe because it features a sample of Herbie Hancock's Cantaloupe Island. Yep. And Herbie Hancock will we'll never do an episode about Herbie Hancock, but I do want to shout out that he has one of the coolest music videos I've ever watched in my entire life. Do you remember the music video for Rocket that he did where it's literally just like the house filled with random robots doing things? No. So it's like a pair of legs just like walking around the room repeatedly and like the one robot's just like flipping uh, eggs in the kitchen. Actually, I think I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a really weird video and it's the type of video you make when you're making a music video for an instrumental track from a jazz person. <laughs> um but yes, I, and this song showed up in a ton of stuff. I was shocked as to how many things. Let's it talk was about what's in. the most important thing it showed up in, Matt. Well, why don't you tell me? Because I'm thinking Super Mario Brothers, but <laughs> yeah, there's absolutely. one. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Super Mario Brothers from 1993. That's absolutely the most important thing it showed up in. I so I don't know what it was 
so I could be totally wrong about this, but I feel like I remember this song being a very popular bumper song on like Comedy Central or or MTV or something like that, where it was like, you know, when they're going through the like, uh, you know, coming up next and, uh, you know, a couple reruns of Absolutely Fabulous. And like in the background, you're just hearing like, Hey, funky, funky, <laughs> like yeah, as the voiceover guys go. Oh, they would definitely use this song on AbFab. <laughs> I, I can tell you, Matt, that I remember when this was in the buzz bin on MTV. I remember when well, it was a buzz clip. And I'm going to give a little hint to our Patreon episode. If you haven't checked out our Patreon, I first heard this song on Buzz Bin Volume 1. So I'm going to read the full track list of Buzz Bin Volume 1 to Chris and let wow. him tell me if it belongs in his Buzz Bin or not. If, wow. he, if he agrees with it being a Buzz Bin. I'm going to start a <laughs> Buzz and I'm going to start a physical Buzz Bin at my house. <laughs> by, by the next time you come out to visit me, I want you to walk in and take a look at my Buzz Bin. Should we have a one-hit thunder buzz bin? Should we? Yes. Should we end every episode with our buzz bin? What's the What's the hot new song that we think people should check out? Dude, <laughs> we are seriously going to start a buzz bin. That, that is <laughs> such a good idea. Hey, if you are a band or artist and you're listening, uh, send us your song. You might get added to the buzz bin. You might get uh, it, and you know what? We could even make the buzz bin song the outro song once we run out of all these punchline tracks. I've been playing. <laughs> um, yo, so. I would say that Bruce Lundvall, who was the president at the time, and Jeff Wilkinson, they were on to something because at that point, Blue Note Records had never had a platinum album. And now, thanks to us three, they did. Uh, it reached number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 and us three. There you go. But why did us three become a one-hit wonder, Matt? Why, why is that? Because I think... That as much as I love this, I feel like this becomes very repetitive novelty music to like 99% of the, the world. Thank you for saying it. Because <laughs> I like this more than the uh, swing revival of the later 90s. But still, this feels... When I'm listening to hip-hop or whatever, I want to I wanna feel the beat more. I don't want to like snap my finger and have some guy going like bitty bitty bop like funky funky that's not really that's not really what i come to hip-hop for you know i i i come for more than that and i think novelty is it's pretty accurate here you know there's I, not there you can't really grasp on anything in the lyrics there's not some it, it's a vibe it's a feeling it reminds me of being in an overpriced coffee shop yeah you know who did this similar concept really, really well is um, Jurassic 5. On their album Quality Control, there's a six-minute closing instrumental track that's called Swing Set, and it's a similar vibe because Jurassic 5 was five MCs and two DJs, and their two DJs did this like six-minute song where they're just trading jazz samples over top of hip-hop beats back and forth, and it's, it's a really cool track. This is the sound of the 30s. One, two, one, two, three, four. A little bit more of what you're looking for because while it's the jazz sample, it's got that heavy bass drum going over top of it the whole time where this really lacks that. There's almost no like 
true rhythm section outside of what's already on the record for most of this. This song does not slam. And Matt, also, when it comes to taking meaning away from the song and going a layer deeper, you brought up Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul. Those are good examples of people that use uh, jazz samples, but there's also substance there. And then even fast forward it to Kendrick Lamar. He uses lots of jazz samples, and yet there's so much substance there. And this is just... You know, I think Rasan Kelly's delivery is cool, but he's not saying anything. You know, yeah. it, there, there's there's not a lot to hold on to there. So I guess that explains the whole one hit wonder. Thing. This is not one where I'm like, how could these guys possibly have been a one hit wonder? But what I did walk away with is how did it take Matt Kelly to be 36 to discover that he really likes the band us three? <laughs> well, <laughs> like, you, you keep yeah. calling it a band too. And it's one guy, it's a producer. Every, yeah. I think every album has different vocalists on it. Oh, you, I mean, when you look at the wiki page, the list of like former members is outrageously yeah, long. You, they're, they're, it's not a band. It's just a producer who, who makes albums or whatever. So I kind of think the dude should be psyched to have one hit. You know, yeah. he, the last album I think came out in 2000, and it was a song called Say You Belong to Me. Well, that was the single they made a video for or whatever. There's a female vocalist. It's very funky and poppy and I actually really liked it. I think I might even like it better than Cantaloupe or at least as much. But the guy has done a lot of different things. I think he even, I think I read he even did an album that didn't have any Blue Note samplings on it. Like he did like a Latin uh, influenced album or something. So he's just a producer making music. And I think that's cool. But I think he should be psyched that he had a hit at all when you're not an actual group. Well, and yeah, I mean, they, us three never stopped putting out records. They, I, I mean, I guess they essentially did because their last one was in 2013. But 2013 is a long ass time when your only hit was in 1993. Like that is, that's a lot of dedication to still be regularly releasing albums. And for all I know, people just stopped updating Wikipedia in 2013, and he put out like three more things after that. For for all I know, but uh, I agree with you. There's there is this weird thing where. I would almost put this in the same category. I think it's really weird that it keeps it was like charting on the R and B charts because like this sound, this music is a lot of things, but I wouldn't really put it in the R and B category. But I feel like it has almost a little bit of like a like a precursor to like a Fat Boy Slim. Almost, it's way more of like a DJ thing than any like specific musical genre. And I and I I'm saying that knowing that like Fat Boy Slim definitely falls into that the giant techno bucket and then like whatever the multiple subcategories that someone who listens to techno more than me would be able to break down but the idea of like no this is a guy with some records creating some really cool music like it it seems like it's in a completely different category than than most genres that you can really classify and sometimes being in an unclassifiable genre becomes a little difficult as well because how do you really how do you find your audience? <laughs> well, who I who I would compare this to the most that we've covered on here is the Avalanches. Yes, it was taking samples. Now they were much more eclectic in where they took their samples from. They were taking it from all kind of strange places. But I would like to see what the Avalanches would do with this same catalog because I feel like they're a little more crazy. This is this is very digestible it's making a kind of music that is sometimes not digestible into a very digestible thing to the point where i'm saying this sounds like you're in a 
Starbucks or something. Yeah, avalanches and is way more like challenging. See, yeah, <laughs> like, I would like to see what like the avalanches would do and and really fuck with it and make it weird, you know. But that's that's just me. The, but this also leads to a, a slightly bigger discussion of even like mashups. You know what I mean? Like, I how how do you feel about mashups? I personally have always been a fan of them, especially multi-layered ones. Like, I'm not that big of a fan of when they're just like, we're going to take these two songs and the vocals are going to be on top of the music for this one. But when you get into, like, the girl talk stuff where it's, like, interlooping and it's, like, kind of this nonstop hour sound of, like, sample, I, I dig it. I think it's cool. I just don't know a situation where I'd want to listen to it. Maybe if I was at the concert and on a cool drug, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know how else. If I was having a party, I wouldn't put that on because I'd want to hear the actual songs, you know? And if I'm just listening to music by myself, I'm not necessarily going to put it on because I want to listen to the actual songs. But I'm just me, you know? Yeah. I, I, I like it I as driving cool. music. But, but, but. I, I want to I back it up. I think it's cool. But if people like it, I think I definitely think it's it's cool and it's... It's a, a skill, it's a talent to be able to do that. I just personally don't listen to it. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, all right, well, I think we have one big question left to ask, and I'm pretty sure we... this. If anybody's listening, I think they know where this is going to land. Thunder or blunder, Chris? Oh, um, the fact that this... I am going to say this is kind of a novelty, man. This 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 guy got access to the Blue Note Records catalog and made an album that you said you enjoyed it. I I listened to I had it on while I was doing stuff and it all kind of just sounded the same to me. And um, I do like this song, but I think that Jeff Wilkinson is very uh, should feel very fortunate. Not taking anything away from, but should feel very fortunate that he had a hit with what he created. I would say that this is. A blunder, and I'm gonna say that this is a thunder for me. Uh, I mean this this did the thing that I think this show was all about doing, which is like similarly to how we did a Grateful Dead episode, and I was not a Grateful Dead fan, and then walked away adding like three of their albums into my music collection. I think I'm gonna be adding some us three into my music collection. Like this wow. was this is I really walked away being like I like this and I want more of this and. You know, that's what this show is about in a weird way, right? Like finding those artists that you everybody's written off as like not being worth anything more than a hit and discovering that they're actually a pretty solid group. Like so uh us three, uh the producer Jeff Wilkinson. Project, yeah, Wilkinson. Uh this is this is a thunder for me. I'm I'm gonna be listening to more us three in my life. And I will be just as I was before I dove deeper into us three, I will still think Cantaloupe is a pretty good song. And after this episode, I still think that song is a pretty good song. Bitty Bitty Bop. Bitty Bitty Bop. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing the punchline song 21 Forever, Ever, Forever, Ever off their remix album, Politefully Dead. Visit punchline.com for merch, tour dates, and news. We're on Patreon now. Become a patron and get bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com 
backslash OHT podcast. Do you want to start a podcast? Contact Chris or myself at weknowpodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names, and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that make titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.